The CFB Winning Edge 2020 FBS Review Podcast Series is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Support from our patrons help us fund updates, improvements, and special projects. It also keeps our weekly shows ad-free. As part of our review series, our patrons will also receive visuals we refer to during the show, with additional stats, rankings, notes, and more. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to sign up. And new in 2021, annual members receive 18% off, two months free on a 12-month subscription. Thank you to all of our patrons for your generous support, and enjoy the show. Welcome back once again, everybody. It is College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And we are going uh, through uh, through teams number 100 to 91 today so uh, we're into the double digits after this first team and let's just dive right in here i mean uh the first team is duke they were one and nine last season not a good year you know uh traditionally a basketball school for duke of course and then um uh, were they not one and nine two and nine one and nine two and, and nine in uh conference play Conference, uh, right, right. Sometimes, sometimes I've done that. My bad. I, I didn't mean to cheat them out of that one win. So, <laughs> my bad, Duke. But hey, that, that um, game against Charlotte was their best game. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. And, and uh, it's because they played Charlotte. But lots of coaching, uh, co- coaches shifted. They got one new coach, but seven are gonna move around spots. Uh, Cutcliffe will not be calling offensive plays in 2021. He has said. They were the 90th ranked scoring offense, the 115th ranked scoring defense. They do have a decent recruiting class, 58th ranked in the nation, but low in the ACC once again. And their starting quarterback, Chase Bryce, transferred to App State. Nine total players going out and only four coming in. So uh, what do you think about Duke moving into the 2021 season, Nick? Well, I mean, last year was a, a pretty pretty disappointing season just overall I mean uh, we won David Cutcliffe as a head coach had done a, a really fabulous job for the better part of or really he went over a decade now at, at Duke and uh, had made them relevant to turn them into a, a consistent threat you know from week to week uh, to beat just about anybody they played and and uh, so the the work that he did having you know taken over one of the worst P5 programs in the country and, and making them, uh, you know, a team that went to bowl games consistently is is uh, pretty pretty remarkable or definitely, uh, you know, breathed new life into that program and, and made do, you know, a, 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 What's the what's the word? I'm I'm looking relevant. Made made Duke relevant again on, on uh, the football field. Yeah, but, I mean they had Daniel Jones, a first round pick. You know they were looking pretty solid for a little bit. Absolutely, and and Cutcliffe has a, a great track record as a quarterbacks coach, as an offensive coordinator, and a play caller. And so when he took uh, those play calling duties back heading into last season and brought Chase Bryce, who a lot of people thought you know made a, a, a was a perfect sense. 
pickup out of the transfer portal, had shown some things in limited action at Clemson, seemed to really be uh, kind of a plug-and-play, Cutcliffe-type guy. I mean, not mm-hmm. not the biggest skill set in the world, but seemed uh, like a guy who, you know, had a good, strong work ethic, well-prepared, uh, and uh, was able to, to step in and, and play and seemed like he had – you know, a, a lot of room there to grow with given uh, a, a bigger, you know, bigger role and, and having a, a starting job, but just didn't work out. And, and part of that probably was, you know, the, what everybody else in college football was dealing with uh, COVID wise. He wasn't able to get on campus uh, until he had graduated from uh, Clemson, missed, you know, spring workouts, all that sort of early offseason stuff. Uh, when guys could get together uh, off the field to kind of miss that. And then of course, didn't have, uh, you know, a full spring practice uh, to not only, you know, really get hands-on with the offense, but also uh, in the locker room on the practice field with his teammates. So I think it was a pretty tough transition. I I read some things uh, that, you know, maybe, he wasn't really uh, welcomed as, as uh, you would expect a starting quarterback to be in the locker room, just seemed to not really be a, a great fit, not only on the field, but maybe off as well. So I think that is is problem number one. The quarterback position just wasn't wasn't there for Duke. And, and so it's, it's difficult to overcome that. They turned the football over more than anybody in college football by a huge margin. 39 turnovers. Uh, the next closest FBS teams were Georgia Tech and Mississippi State, uh, who had 14 fewer turnovers. And so it was just, you know, kept putting the ball on the ground, kept throwing interceptions. Bryce you know, led the led the country in uh, interceptions thrown and, and didn't even have, you know, a, a firm grip on that starting job. Ended up having to, you know, get benched a series here and there. Uh, week to week. So that made it really difficult to overcome, but there were bright spots elsewhere. They could run the ball uh, decently well, had, you know, a couple of playmaking receivers and and really had uh, from a, you know, production standpoint, as far as getting to the quarterback on defense, uh, some of the best pass rushers in the country. Uh, The defense was hurt by sort of a boomer bust, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of uh, just, just sort of how that, that pass rush worked. If they didn't get to the quarterback, then it was, you know, the potential for a big play for the opponent. They had a ton of injuries in the secondary. They've lost some key players to the NFL draft. They lost some key players to the transfer portal. Uh, you know, in addition to Bryce, Derek Tangelo is a starter on the defensive line. Drew Jordan, who played a lot. Uh, Marquis Waters, who's a starter at uh, safety. Also a pretty dynamic uh, kick returner in addition to wide receiver. Uh, all those guys are, are in the transfer portal. And then Deion Jackson at running back is off to the NFL as his offensive lineman. Devery Hamilton and then those those pass rushers, uh, Michael Ruff Jr., uh, Victor uh, Dibukeji, and uh, they, they are also losing a couple of starters in the secondary as well. So I, I have a, a pretty firm initial feeling that Duke is trending in the wrong direction. Now, I, I do think that Cutcliffe is, you know, capable of 
riding the ship, turning things back around, especially if they can get the quarterback situation under control. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll see. There's going to be some youth added into that uh, offensive play calling role. Uh, Jeff Ferris is 30 years old, has, has uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure got new, fresh ideas to, to kind of uh, rejuvenate that offense a little bit. But he hasn't necessarily been elsewhere. He's been on that Duke staff for a while and played at Duke. So uh, it's pretty well versed in what Cutcliffe wants, but maybe not the most outside-the-box move, uh, even though Cutcliffe is, uh, you know, giving up those play-calling duties. So I don't know. They lost so many uh, key pieces of the defense, and then there were so many concerns on offense outside of uh, the running game here and there. Mateo Durant coming back leading rusher, even though they did lose Deion Jackson to the NFL draft. I don't know. I mean, the offensive line did not play well. Uh, they ranked 118th in our O-line performance ratings. Uh, just uh, I just don't have a great feeling. I, I, I think that Cutcliffe is a little on the you know late side of his career, obviously. He's been doing this a long time. Duke is a hard job. It's, it's very difficult to keep them uh, playing at a bowl-eligible type level. And I just I don't have very high expectations uh, for Duke in 2021. I think there are so many moving parts and then just – uh, just a complete, you know, real disappointment from last year. Uh, it, it's it's difficult for me to see a, a quick path to getting that turned around in, in 2021. Xavier, your thoughts on Duke for 2021 doesn't seem like there's a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, but they're at least uh, making big shifts here and trying to move forward. Yeah, but you get the feeling that not even the kids really feel that way. And you see that in the obviously in the recruiting as for the second straight year, they finished 13th in the ACC, only finishing uh, from where they were two years ago, they finished eighth. So you, there's kind of a consensus here going around that maybe Duke is on a downswing and you can feel it from the kids. You know, they only finished above Wake Forest. They finished below Syracuse, who we've already had on this podcast, uh, just to give you an idea of how poorly right now that they're able to recruit. And it's really, for me, more so the fact that, you know, when, when you look at their transfers, they weren't even able to bring in any big transfers this year. You know, they weren't they, – they, they clearly are not looking to be good right now. You know, last year, like Nick said, they digged into the transfer portal – got Chase Bryce, you know, brought in Chris Rumpf. These were guys, you know, or not brought in Chris Rumpf, I'm sorry. No, Chris Rumpf was already there. But, you know, they digged into the transfer portal to get better right away. That didn't go so well, and I think they're a little scared to do it again as of right now, maybe a little hesitant. As you look at the transfer portal, they've only brought in four kids. One of them, only one of them has a 247 ranking. So, you know, just, just, just yeah, exactly. Uh, the other three are from Brown. So maybe, you know, academics, obviously he's going to come right in and fit in Holy Cross. And the other guy doesn't even have a school that he was previously at. So they they, they may be really having cold feet when it comes to the transfer portal after what after what may what was a failed experiment with Chase Bryce last year. So I'm not I'm with you guys going into 2021. I'm not looking at Duke to be a team to surprise us. Uh, I think personally, this is a team that's probably going to be right here where we're talking about them this year again next year. Uh, you look at their 2021 schedule, and it doesn't get much easier for them either. Luckily for them, like we talked about, they do play Charlotte, so there goes a win. You know, they, you know, they they could probably pick up that North Carolina A&T probably should be a win as well. Uh, Northwestern and Kansas—that's their uh, non-conference schedule. Maybe they can go three and one. 
Their schedule maker did a really good job here, allowing them to get some momentum early on in the year. Uh, but then they got to play the ACC. I just don't think you got to think that outside of maybe Wake Forest, they might be the worst team in the ACC going into next year. Just be honest. Yeah, and I'm not sure it gets a lot better moving forward here to uh, the double digits in team number 99 on the rankings is Colorado State. They were 1-3 and three last year. Adazio said he was happy with establishing a run game and stopping the run, uh, but it didn't stop him from b- bringing in a new OC because Joey Lynch <laughs> left for Vanderbilt. Uh, John Budemare is the new offensive coordinator. He was the Wisconsin's quarterback coach last season uh they did they, they only um they, they got a win because the utah game utah state game was called was that a forfeiture was that the one that um like why why did they why were they considered to have that win i know their official record was two and three but they only played the four games nick so that that one i think yeah, might have just I been believe, a late forfeiture so yeah i think i think that officially went down as a Mm-hmm. As a forfeit, uh, not a not a COVID cancellation, but Utah State said that they uh, would not play that game uh, in our. I mean, and, and most places, I, I think we're probably listing it as as one in three. But yeah, I think they got that second win by forfeit. Yeah, they were the 89th ranked recruiting class for 2021. They have seven transfers out with only three, and they did get two guys that entered the portal to come back, Nick. But um, you know, uh, a, a tough COVID year for Adazio and the Rams. And uh, how do you see them moving forward in 2021? Yeah, it, it was uh, on the one hand, a, a bit not completely unexpected. I don't think anybody had huge expectations for Colorado State, despite just before we, we sat down to record, we were talking a little off air about uh, our plans for our uh, 2021 first year head coach draft and and I last year I was pretty high this time of the year on on Adazio and, and Colorado State just because our early numbers showed that they had uh, you know a, a really talented roster compared to most in, in the Mountain West and, and thought the schedule set up uh, decently well of course you know uh, their their schedule it was completely uh, turned on its head by you know, the, the Mountain West starting late by, you know, COVID uh, disruptions, whether it was on the Colorado, Colorado State end or, or on uh, the other side, you know, it, it just, they couldn't get, uh, couldn't play very often. One, they only saw the field four times, uh, but two, just couldn't get any any momentum going. And then there were some uh, off the field concerns early on in the, in the off season. Uh, there were some, you know, players that spoke up about, uh, some safety issues, also some uh, cultural issues. And, and so things just really didn't get off on the right foot for Colorado State. Uh, you know, so I, I'm not surprised that they ended up all that, uh, you know, coming through. Not surprised they ended up with a losing record. But then on the other hand, uh, Colorado State is, is like this. And a couple other teams that we'll talk about, Miami, Ohio, and, and Washington State, I feel the same way. I think it's almost impossible to, to really try to draw any major conclusions from what we saw from those three teams in particular in 2020, because even when they were on the field, they were not at full strength, uh, you know, with Colorado State being a new coaching staff. Uh, you know, I wonder if actually getting uh, some in-person, uh, you know, relationship building with the team might be able to, to overcome some of those issues they were having in the early months, uh, you know, of, of, of 2020. They have, 
you mentioned a lot of the transfers going in and out. That's a little bit of a, a red flag, but you know they they've had some success bringing some guys in. Their offensive line though it graded really really poorly in our uh, O line performance rankings, 125th out of 127 teams that uh, played last year. Uh, you know they they do have some talent there. Brought in three guys who followed Adazio from Boston College. They also brought in uh, one of the, the better offensive linemen at Temple uh, from from uh, you know, the last couple of years. And, and they've got some pieces here and there. Trey McBride's one of the better tight ends in college football. Uh, they've got some talent at the receiver position, even though Warren Jackson opted out prior to last year, and they just really haven't gotten anything out of a, a transfer from Auburn, I was pretty high on Nate Craig Myers. They do have, you know, Dante Wright, who's when he's on the field, uh, completely transformed that offense last year. He was not available in the opener against Fresno State, and they just looked really, you know, stuck, couldn't get anything going. He was available the, the next week against Wyoming, and Colorado State looked really, really good. And then, you know, from that point, they played a, a weird game against Boise State, ended up getting blown out by you know, uh, a lot of just uh, miscues, many of them on, on the uh, special team side of things. And then, you know, Boise State being one of the better teams in, in uh, that league anyway. Then all the disruptions, two games canceled, play a tough San Diego State team and, and then end up not playing that final game. Probably would have been a, a you know, we would think they were pretty heavily favored against Utah State. you think they'd be able to win that game on the field. But, I just don't know. I, uh, we didn't see enough of them. Uh, didn't really get to see them at full strength. Uh, don't really know what this you know offense is going to look like. I, I had some expectation that Steve Adazio maybe had had uh, learned a little bit by getting fired at Boston College. Was going to uh, put the ball in the air a little bit more. Joey Lynch, I, I like some of the things that he had done at Ball State, but now uh, he moved on, as you mentioned, to Vanderbilt. So, you know, not really sure what the offense is going to look like moving forward. They, they couldn't run the ball. Their leading rusher was a, a converted wide receiver. Marcus McElroy couldn't get going, uh, looked, you know, just a, a, looked really slow uh, and just, you know, had what, two, two uh, point one yards per carry, something like that. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what to make of, of Colorado State. I'm, I'm rambling as always, but uh, just trying to ra- you know wrap my head around that offense mostly. And then some of the defensive numbers are really, really good. They ranked third in the country in our defensive line performance rating. So the offensive side of the line of scrimmage was incredibly poor in a small sample. The defensive line was excellent. I mean, they they put up huge numbers as far as pressures, sacks, tackles for uh, excuse me, tackles for loss, and you know, probably pretty fresh, only playing those four games though. You know, well, and and I just don't. Yeah, I mean, and and and, and that's part of your struggle in in why you don't know how to perceive these because it's four games. Uh, you know, Steve Adazio is a decent coach. He was decent at Boston College, but we know what he is. He's run the ball and stopped the run. You know, so. You kind of know what, it. yeah, they couldn't run it, um, but they could stop the run. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to know what you have in only seeing these guys play four games, especially with limited practices and stuff. This is why we have to redo this head coaching draft and do it <laughs> again next next week, so that Xavier definitely did not win 
the 2020 wow. uh, edition. Uh, oh, this is know, a separate thing. I feel we will, have a, we will have a redraft. Never want to give Old the Dominion guys- didn't even play Xavier. <laughs> I couldn't even get points for them. That, that helped you probably. You, you know, they, they never want to give the young guys credit. You see this? You guys never want to give the young guys credit. It's cool. We the young it. guy lucks into his wins. Yeah, but I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your uh, – um uh you're wrapping up your point on Colorado State there Nick my bad yeah and, and I was wrapping it up I mean I I long story short I I don't really know what to think about Colorado State and uh they are changing at the quarterback position Patrick O'Brien is is gone to Washington the staff seems to be uh rallying behind Todd Santillo who is uh more mobile uh you know did some good things and some limited opportunities last year another transfer uh, from Temple, uh, who, who played, you know, sparingly last season, but you know, it's, it's gonna, we're going to have to see how it shakes out. They've got, uh, several seniors that they had play pretty prominent roles last year. And I haven't seen very much official news as to who's going to be taking advantage of that extra year. I do believe Scott, uh, Patchen, who's the transfer from Miami, who had a, a huge, huge year, uh, in, you know, the four games he played. Uh, I think he is expected to come back as a, as a super senior, but uh, they've got, you know, three senior starters on the defensive line. They've got two in the secondary, uh, three on the offensive line. We're just going to have to see, have to see how all that shakes out as to whether or not those guys will be coming back. And, and then I might be able to, to solidify my, my thinking a little bit more, but uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to, be able to project or, or, you know, take what I saw on the field in uh, 2020, even what, you know, seems to be there in some of the underlying numbers and extrapolate that to a season that's supposed to be three times as long next year. So uh, really, really difficult spot with Colorado State. I don't have a very good read on them. They finished 99th, uh, obviously, in our power rankings from last year. And I, I think they'll probably start uh, maybe – you know, right in, in that same range. I, I don't necessarily expect uh, that they would climb, uh, you know, for any, any major reason. Uh, there, there's not a huge influx of talent coming in unless they really do dip into that transfer portal. So uh, I expect that we'll be a uh, pretty similar starting point in 2021. And, and then we'll just see, you know, was, you know, our, our earlier expectation going into 2020 when they were in the 60s or 70s in the preseason, is that more what should we should expect? Or are they a team that's in danger of falling into triple digits like they looked uh, in 2020? Xavier, your thoughts on Colorado State moving forward? Difficult team to project, of course. Yeah. But once again, this is one of those teams where because of the lack of footage and the lack of gameplay that they had last year, I, I, I let the kids do the talking for me, especially on this recruiting trail. And Colorado State is once again one of those teams that is trending downward when we talk about their recruiting. Colorado State was atop the Mountain West every year under Bobo. Just to give you an idea, they finished second in 2017, second in 2018, fourth in 2019. Adazio takes over in his first year, they finished seventh. And then this year, they finished sixth. It's not looking good on the recruiting trail for them at, at, at this at this juncture right now. Also, when we look at their schedule going into next year, I'm not confident in it whatsoever. You know, the, their non-conference schedule goes as follows. South Dakota State, 
is that an easy game? Not at all. South Dakota State is one of the better teams uh, at that level, and it's not going to be easy whatsoever. Speaking of one of their coaches, Nick, they have to play at, they have to play Vandy next year. They get them at home uh, in the second game of the season. Then they go to Toledo, which is no easy game at all. Uh, and then they finish it up with at Iowa. At, at Iowa. So I, I don't know if they can win any games in their non-conference schedule. At least I'm, I'm only comfortable with saying one, two tops. Uh, and then we get into a into the Mountain West, which I think last year personally was having a down year. I don't know uh, about you guys, but I felt Boise State was a team that could be had last year. We had San Jose State finish the top of the conference, if I'm not mistaken, last year as well. And I think you'd look at Boise State retooling, ready to go this year. Uh, maybe San Jose State continues this. San Diego State was one of the best defensive teams up until the bowl game last year. Well, we all got that one wrong. And, you know, and, and so that doesn't seem like it's going to change. So you really are starting to look for where do they get their wins? You know, Do we see a, a bounce back from Hawaii this year? Uh, and, and Nick, you, you hit it on the head. Utah State is the only team, right? As of right now, I'm comfortable saying that they'll get a win. So, what are we talking? Maybe one, two victories going into next year. Uh, so, I don't really, I'm not comfortable saying Colorado State is is trending in in a good direction whatsoever, unless, like Nick said, they really dip into the transfer portal. So far, only three transfers: two from Temple and one from Boston College. That's not going to get it done going into 2021. They've got to put, you know, we talked about offensive line last uh, yesterday's podcast. They've got to dip into that as well. There's still transfers out there to be had. They've got to make more moves in that direction if they're going to bounce back from what was a subpar year last year. Or, or I think if a, if several of those higher profile seniors come back, they That's do have right. on paper they're pretty experienced. Uh, just don't have official confirmation necessarily on on a lot of those guys yet. I, I think that I agree that maybe we can we can pencil in two wins for sure. I think they'll get to that point. And then I, I'd say there are a handful of other games that are winnable. I, I right. don't know that there are very many where we could necessarily just write down, oh, this is an obvious loss outside of probably that Iowa game. But, uh, you know, it's it's a team, and Scott was saying this just before we uh, started to record, that in this part of the, the rankings, and it makes sense, uh, you can – you can move forward. You can you can improve, and you can go up. But there's still obviously room to uh, to fall into those triple digits. And Colorado State is one of those teams that I could see really going either way, and and don't have a great read right now on on which one to expect. Now, yeah. remind me, and I think this might be something that hurt them in recruiting as well. Was this the school that their coach told them to not talk about whether or not they were showing symptoms of COVID allegedly? There were some reports. There was okay. a pretty explosive report uh, early on in the, the early uh, weeks of the pandemic that, that suggested that, that there was some pressure to not. Yeah. <laughs> so not, mm. not, not great. Not a great way to start. Uh, it sounded like later on there were some, uh, you know, maybe there was some miscommunication. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I didn't yeah. see a, an official follow-up. Their, their uh, text, that was a miscommunication. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but uh, go, Going to the next team, and this is, uh, we know this is one of Nick's favorites, uh, Georgia <laughs> Tech, three and seven uh, last year. They improved across all facets of the offense. Mm -hmm. uh, everything, the, you know, yards per rush, passing game, scoring, everything was up. Uh, Opposite on the defensive side, they gave up the most points per game in school history at 36.8 points per game. Uh, they did get a, a good recruiting class, 47th ranked recruiting class, but they had 16 players transferring out 
also getting eight transfers in, uh, but a lot of guy, a lot of moving pieces here for Georgia Tech. Um, but a couple good recruiting classes in a row here, Nick. So, uh, your thoughts on uh, the Yellow Jackets moving forward? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high on Georgia Tech's ability to improve. I, I feel almost the opposite uh, about Georgia Tech than I said for Duke. I, I, I see a lot of scenarios where Duke actually takes, uh, you know, an, an even farther dip back. I, I think that it's going to be pretty difficult for, or not difficult, but but I, I see a lot more scenarios in which Georgia Tech takes another step forward. You mentioned the improvement on offense. Uh, you know, that that's traditional statistics definitely took a step forward, but a lot of the advanced stats, I mean, they, they were among the worst offenses in the country in 2019, and they were basically average in a, in a lot of the numbers that I uh, look at in, in you know, in, in uh, 2020. They were 74th in yards per play. Uh, they were 95th in, in expected points added per play on offense, 96th in points per drive. Those, of course, not great, but they had more success uh, from an efficiency standpoint. Their success rate, they actually uh, just snuck into the top 50, finished 49th, and then yards per pass attempt, 76th. And uh, they did that really leaning heavily on that 2020 recruiting class, which was, you know, in the in the top 30 range. Jeff Sims, true freshman quarterback, started every game. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, who I think is on the short list of most dynamic running backs in the country. Uh, it's just whether or not, you know, they, they do have a lot of depth there, whether or not he gets a lot of touches, they get a little more creative and getting him the football in, in a variety of ways. He does contribute as a receiver, does uh, contribute in, on special teams as well. But uh, he's somebody I think uh, – I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's the first running back drafted in 2023. Uh, he's, he's that good. And, and uh, you know, if you're, if you're Georgia Tech, you're excited – that those two guys got a lot of, you know, a lot of playing time in, in 2021. There were certainly opportunities to grow. And, you know, Gibbs had uh, some injuries uh, that, that limited, limited him to seven games. Uh, Sims, uh, you know, made some freshman mistakes, which are to be expected through 13 interceptions, took too many sacks. I mean, there were certainly uh, issues protecting the passer, protecting Sims uh, as a passer. But uh, also, you know, young freshman, sometimes a little slow on the decision-making end of things. That's going to speed up. He's going to get better uh, with more experience with another uh, year under his belt. They need some playmakers at wide receiver. They lost uh, two of their better guys. Jalen Camp is uh, off to the NFL uh, and then they they also lost uh, one to the, the transfer portal as well. They played really terrible special teams. I mean, they had the best punter in the country uh, in uh, Presley Harvin the third all American punter, and finished a hundred and twenty fifth in our special teams team performance ratings. I mean, their their kicking units uh, were just bad. Their return units, for the most part, were bad. Uh, really struggled. And a lot of their, you know, uh, other rankings on the line of scrimmage were an issue. 98th in offensive line performance, according to our numbers, 101st on the defensive line. They have to get better pass rush, uh, have to get, you know, create more havoc. We expected that a Jeff Collins team, based on the success he had as a defensive play caller at places like Florida and Mississippi State, uh, and then as, you know, early days as a, a head coach at Temple, uh, we expected the defense to be a lot better by now. Uh, but at Scott, as you said, they, they took a step back, uh, at least statistically, 
last year. Still, I, I, I do think that there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. They are uh, looking in the transfer portal to, to help shore up uh, that offensive line. Uh, they brought in, you know, some talented guys on the defensive side of the ball who were transferring from places like Alabama, uh, Tennessee. You know, they, they brought in a kicker from Tennessee to help shore up uh, some of those special teams issues in, in the kicking game. And, you know, they're, they're looking for some playmakers as well. There's a, a wide receiver running back combo guy, Carrick McGowan from Northwestern, who they're bringing in. And, and hopefully he'll have a big role, brought in a couple of talented true freshman receivers as well, try to, try to shore that up. But, uh, you know, they need somebody other than Jordan Dominic to, to rush the passer. He was really the only major consistent bright spot in that role last year. They're going to have to replace a guy who, who played a lot of football in David Curry at middle linebacker. Uh, and, and in the secondary, though, experience and, and bringing a lot of guys back, that, that unit really, really uh, underperformed last year. So, you know, I, I think that there is room – for guys, you know that that did some some disappointing things to improve uh, with experience. I, I think Sims will take a step forward. I think you know if they get Gibbs the ball as much as possible, uh, that's a you know big step in the right direction. They'll be able to continue that momentum on offense. I think the defense should be able to to come around. But you know, despite basically what they won the same number of games, right. From 2019 to 2020. And I think we all said this in, in our preseason previews, we would not be surprised if Georgia tech put up a very similar record, but played a lot better. And, and I think that is what ended up happening. They, they made some big steps, especially on the offensive side of the ball and with experience and, and that talent that they brought in. Uh, I do think that this is a team that should contend for, uh, a bowl bit next year and it, it's going to be tough you know they, they play a lot of the heavy hitters in the ACC uh, Xavier you always run down the schedule but uh, you know they do have Clemson they have North Carolina they have Miami all on uh, the schedule next year the non-conference uh, slate is not a bunch of gimmies either so you know they're they're going to have to uh, step it up to, to be able to get there they're going to have to play a good bit better on both sides of the football to, to make it to a bowl game. But I, I think that that young uh, core and and they also had a true freshman start on the offensive line. I, I think you take that young core on offense and you take uh, what maybe you can right away or, or you know, uh, uh, kind of ride it off to some injury issues some COVID issues, whatever uh, impacting things on defense, get that unit short up and, and uh, play in a bit better. I think Georgia Tech is a is a bowl team in in 2021, and I, I think that they are a team that can, uh, you know, if they get there, continue positive momentum to maybe break into you know the the conversation as a top 40 type team. Uh, maybe this time next year, we're, we're really you know our expectations will will grow a good bit. I, I think there is room for Georgia Tech to to really take a, a step forward as a program, and despite. You know, not not a whole lot uh, from a, a one loss standpoint. I think the the progress I saw last year uh, really hasn't you know made me move off of that as a as a you know reason to be optimistic. Uh, are you thinking uh, potential bull bid for Georgia Tech, Xavier? I mean, uh, they do have a lot of good pieces here. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I think last year Nick hit it right on the head. I think their youth is really what hurt them last year. Not only what did they struggle at times to. 
uh, not only did Jeff Sims and company struggle at times to kind of play each game like their last, they struggled from quarter to quarter. I, I think the best representation of what Georgia Tech was last year was UCF. They played really good for like a half, and then they just disappeared the entire second half, and it became a blowout. I think that's what happens a lot of times when you play with young teams and your your leaders at the quarterback position, at the running back position, your starters, your best players are also young. It's tough to come, you know, one of the toughest things about college football is consistency. And when you have young players, you typically, that typically wavers. They even sometimes would play down. It happens. So I think coming into year two, especially with a lot of the freshmen that came in last year, remember, they didn't have an offseason. You know, you got to remember, they didn't have a spring practice. They didn't have a traditional fall practice. So they don't have this time. They didn't have the time to get acclimated with not only the receiving core, but shoot, some of them probably were learning the playbook into the season. You know, so like I think that with a full offseason for those guys, I think it'll definitely help them out. Nick, you hit it right on the head. Their schedule is not a cakewalk this year. I do think that they'll pick up two wins in the non-conference playing uh, NIU and Kennesaw State. I think those are the two non-conference wins. I don't think that they'll beat Georgia this year, as we've talked, Georgia's one of the teams that we look at to be a national championship contender going into this year. But I do think there's other ACC teams that have lost a lot. Virginia Tech comes to mind. I think a team that is a possible win there. Virginia is a team that I think is a possible win there. We just got done talking about Duke. I think that's a win there. So I think that they're definitely on the cusp. Uh, when we look at the rest of their schedule, you really, it really comes down to two games for me, whether or not they make it to a bowl game, and that's Pitt and Boston College. I don't know. you know, th- Those two games for me are both toss-ups, uh, although we did see Boston College play very well last year against some of the top-tier talent in the ACC. So maybe you know, maybe more so the uh, – okay, sorry, mo- maybe more so the Pitt game than the Boston College game. But I think they can get to a bowl game. I think they can win six games. Their recruiting is really weird. You know, you look at the recruiting list and you they, you would think, oh, they finished 11th this year in the ACC. That's terrible. They finished 47th nationally. That's really, really bad. But Nick really hit it on the head. They dove into the transfer portal headfirst. You know, they picked up eight transfers total. Mississippi State, Alabama, South Carolina, Old Dominion, Maryland, Northwestern, and Tennessee, just, you know, to name all the schools that they were previously at. And, I, and once again, you got to remember that 247 ranks transfers as what they were coming out of high school. So it doesn't necessarily – you know, help out their overall recruiting score. Uh, maybe if they took their score that they were now, maybe they need to go to CFB Winning Edge and check out what their numbers are. Yeah, current. maybe if they use some production points, two four seven. Come on, you know, maybe maybe their recruiting numbers would be better. Maybe they would have finished somewhere around six or seven, which is why I think they probably should have finished with the recruiting class when you look at it as uh, from a whole. I think Georgia Tech is trending upwards. Uh, Jeff Collins is doing an amazing job recruiting the city of Atlanta for the first time. It feels like forever. Georgia Tech actually is a viable option for kids to go to in and around the Atlanta and Metro Air, uh, Atlanta area. That's the first time that that's happened in my lifetime, at least. Uh, so I, I think he's doing a really got, good job there. And yeah, I think, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I think Georgia Tech is trending upward. Yeah, and and uh, on that note, right, the, with the you know talk of our uh, production point system and our, our player ratings, uh, Keon White, the transfer from Old Dominion, might be that player who could be, uh, you know, an impact pass rusher. Guy who started 20 games in Old Dominion, had nine production points in 2019, is up to an 87-rated player overall. Certainly somebody who, you know, flew under the radar coming out of high school, but uh, has played a lot of football and, and even though didn't play last year, uh, seems to be, you know, ready to contribute at the Power 5 level. And then you throw in some, you know, guys who were high profile coming out of high school, Kevin Harris, the second linebacker from Alabama, uh, Kenyatta Watson, the second corner from Texas. Uh, they've got, you know, transfers in the past few years from Notre Dame, Maryland, South Carolina. I mean, there's, you know, 
they're they're bringing in some some high talent guys and then supplementing them with guys like White who uh, have have played more college football and already produced on the field, but just didn't get that shot coming out of high school to play at a high level. So uh, it's an interesting mix, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm positive on, on George Tech. Now uh, Southern Miss has so many new coaches and it makes a lot of sense because I think they went through 14 to 15 head coaches last year. So uh, for them to get a new head coach is probably a good move. 11 new coaches, including uh, Will Hall, uh, the new uh, head coach there. He was the offensive coordinator for Tulane, who was 22nd in scoring offense last season. So it brings uh, a good track record here. Uh, Austin Armstrong, who was the Louisiana inside linebackers coach, is the new defensive coordinator. And Caden Cochran, who um, uh, was the Emporia State offensive coordinator, comes over to be the tight ends coach. I mean, they got guys from Arkansas State, from Georgia, a couple others from Tulane, Central Arkansas, Richmond. So many new coaches here, Nick. Um, they did have just an okay recruiting class, 125th ranked. Jack Abraham transfer out with six others. They did get five uh, transfers in. So uh, Southern Miss seems to be in a bit of a transition stage right here. Yeah, but I, I think that uh, I think there is reason to think that Southern Miss. Uh, one, just 2020 got off on the complete wrong foot for a variety of reasons. You mentioned all the, the uh, coaching issues. They, they are upset in week one by South Alabama, end up parting ways uh, with their head coach immediately, you know, have a, an interim coach for a few weeks. Uh, they've got two games canceled for COVID, and, and then that head coach, uh, interim head coach, takes a job. Uh, at the FCS level as a, as a head coach. So they're on their third guy uh, for sort of the, the stretch run at the end of the year. They play better down the stretch and, and uh, suffer a couple of close losses uh, and then, you know, are disrupted again and finally put it all together uh, for really their, their best game of the year, put up 45 against a, an FAU defense that we'll talk about here in a minute, uh, was – really one of the better uh, G5 units in the country last year. So ended on a high note and, and Will Hall, though he is a first time uh, head coach at the FBS level is not a first time head coach. He uh, had been a head coach and he's only what 40 years old. So pretty young guy, uh, but has been a, a head coach at the division two level at two different programs, West Georgia and West Alabama. He's had some success comes from a, uh, you know, a good coaching background. His father is a, a high school coaching legend in the state of Mississippi. He's from Mississippi. They are basically going all in on uh, sort of just, just uh, adopting, you know, the, that uh, old school sort of Southern Miss uh, attitude and, and culture that they feel that they gotten away from, you know, from the, the heyday in the, the late 80s, early 90s, when they were one of those uh, premier, you know, non-power uh, conference programs. They were kind of uh, the Boise State of, of uh, that era for, for a lot of folks. And so I, I think that there is reason you know, to think that the, the stability that Hall will will bring his uh, familiarity, of course, with the area and, and sort of uh, what it takes to win uh, down there. But also you mentioned they had, you know, several guys enter the transfer portal prior to the season beginning. They they lost uh, three different uh, returning starters 
who opted out and, and entered the transfer portal immediately. Among them were arguably their two best defensive players coming into the year, uh, Jacques Turner and, and Rasheem Booth, a, a defensive end and a linebacker respectively. And those guys sat out the year but have come back. Uh, they lost also one of their better receivers, a, a just you know pure speed guy, uh, Jalen Adams. He opted out. And never was said, I, I never saw him, him actually enter the transfer portal, but I've also never seen uh, confirmation as to whether or not he will be back, you know, this, this upcoming year. So uh, if he were to come back, you know, that's another reason for optimism, especially since they will lose Tim Jones. Uh, but they had a couple of first-year players make a big impact on offense and, and got better as the season went on. Frank Gore Jr., you know, big name, but he's somebody who came in and, and – uh, you know, took that primary ball carrier role almost from the beginning of the season and then really became uh, one of the better running backs in Conference USA down the stretch. Jason Brownlee was a junior college transfer, uh, you know, big play guy, uh, had, a, had a lot of success, uh, you know, late in the year there. Quarterback is, is a little bit of an issue. You mentioned Abraham off to Mississippi State. But, you know, Trey Lowe the third got some experience this year. He's a transfer from West Virginia. He's an athletic guy, can uh, do a variety of things. They do lack depth there because uh, Tate Motley, who they expected would compete with Trey Lowe for that starting job, he's since retired. He was uh, going to be entering what we would say is his junior year, um, would be a what, third or fourth year sophomore with the, the extra year of eligibility. But, um, you know, that that is a little bit of a hit to depth. Not sure what the offensive line is going to look like because they lost their starting center, uh, Trace Clopton, to retirement, and then they had three uh, senior starters. So, you know, are they are those guys coming back? It sounds like there's some uh, optimism around the program that a lot of the seniors, a lot of the upperclassmen do want to come back, do want to end their careers uh, on a positive note. Uh, like I mentioned, those, those uh, starters in the front seven, uh, who opted out and, and then are returning. So it's, it's you know, it's it's a little bit strange because it was a very disappointing year and it, it started badly and it took a long time to, to really feel positive. But Southern Miss ended with its, its arguably its best performance of the season in the finale against FAU. They're bringing back some of their more talented, more experienced guys. And then some young guys got a lot of lot of experience. I mean, Frank Gore and, and Jason Brownlee, as I mentioned, but then on defense as well. Uh, Santrell Latham had 12 production points last year. Uh, Hayes Maples, both of those guys are linebackers, was an uh, all-conference USA performer, had eight uh, production points last year. Cornerbacks, Cameron Harrell and, and Natron Brooks had five and six uh, production points. It's pretty high uh, for a corner. Taj Sykes, a, a, a interior lineman, an interior defensive lineman, five production points. That's that's those are kind of difficult, uh, you know, marks to reach. Uh, five and, and six production points uh, at those particular positions because you don't really, you know, fill up the stat sheet very much from the interior defensive line or, or as a corner. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that there were some, certainly some silver linings, some some things you can point to to say uh, there's some promising youth that got some experience. There's a new sort of renewal uh, of uh, excitement with the new head coach, uh, with that new coaching staff, and, and then bringing back some of the guys uh, that sat out last year, hoping for a little bit of a, a little bit of a redo. You know, want to want to come back and and uh, set things right. So, you know, Southern Miss is a a pretty talented team as far as Conference USA 
uh, programs go. And, and we've mentioned in each of these review shows so far that Conference USA, I think, is going to be absolutely wide open. So, you know, they're not going to be a heavy underdog in, in any conference game. And really, you know, the only non-conference game that you can just say is absolutely unwinnable is they, they go to Alabama. So I think Southern Miss is, is going to be in the mix. I think they are going to be a team capable of beating anybody else in Conference USA. I don't necessarily trust them to, uh, you know, expect that they will get back to a bowl game or expect that they will uh, compete for the division title or, or a Conference USA crown. But it would not shock me if this is a very quick rebuild, because I think they were a little bit better than they showed last year. I think there are enough positive signs uh, to think that they will be an improved team in 2021. What do you think about Southern Miss for 2021, Xavier? Do you share Nick's enthusiasm? I absolutely agree with Nick. Nick, I I think, honestly, I'll say this. I do think that they're going to get those seniors back. And I I really feel like they are, because when you look at them recruiting-wise, they didn't really go out and get anybody. They signed nine kids total, you know, and you would only be that confident in signing only nine kids in an entire recruiting class and bringing in only five transfers. So 14 people total. And when teams can obviously add, I think it's up to 30, if I'm not mistaken per year. And you only, you didn't, you barely, you know, got half, you didn't even get halfway there. And so I think that those seniors are coming back, Nick, at least the university probably feels that way. You did say that there was some uh, positivity around that, uh, happening and I'm with you you look at their schedule next year is very winnable uh their non-conference schedule at South Alabama that's not that's not necessarily a lose game for them Grambling State they can win that ball game uh you know Alabama they can win yeah, I'm sorry they can't win Alabama but Troy excuse me Woo. almost caught almost got caught slipping Troy <laughs> I, I think they can win that one as well and then when they get into Conference USA, we've talked about some of these teams already on this list. North Texas, they can absolutely win there. We all think Middle Tennessee is on a downswing. Uh, you know, we talked about – I believe we've already talked about UTEP as well. These are teams that they can beat next year. And I think a bowl eligibility is right on their radar. Um, it's really, you know, based off of whether or not these seniors come back. If they don't, I'm going to completely change my tune. If they do, I think Southern Miss is a 6-7 winning team next year. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that we won't be talking about them in the – you know, at number 97 going into next year. Rutgers is the next team up here. They were three and six last season. They um, uh, were the fourth highest in points per game improvement. They added 13.4 points per game uh, last season, which was nice. They had three big 10 road victories, which tied the most road victories since joining the big 10, Uh, 26.7 points per game was uh, the most in a Big Ten season for Rutgers. They had most takeaways in a season uh, with 19 since 2012. Uh, They ranked uh, 11th nationally with 7.8 tackles for loss per game. They improved uh, sacks by uh, 8 from 13 to 21 from 19 to 2020. Uh, They had the 41st ranked uh, recruiting class. They do have 12 transfers out and only 4 transfers in. But there seems to be some positivity moving forward here with Rutgers football, Nick. Yeah, I think so. I, I The biggest takeaway for me from Rutgers was they were a fun team to watch. They played some exciting games. They did some really interesting things, uh, you know, took some chances with you know, a, a bunch of different trick plays, whether it was on offense or, or you know, did some fakes on special teams as well. Uh, they were in a lot more games than – you know, anybody really expected. Uh, this was one of the worst 
power five teams in the country, really one of the worst teams in the country in 2019. And then, you know, we, we thought, okay, uh, Greg Schiano's coming in. He, he has a track record of success there, has had success as a college coach, has had success uh, as an NFL, uh, you know, head coach and, and coordinator. So uh, seemed to be the right guy to kind of solidify the program and, and give it some positive momentum and definitely did that. But, uh, you know, the, the, uh, went to the transfer portal heavy uh, entering last year, really wanted to emphasize raising the talent level. I think that paid off. Uh, they invested a lot in, in transfers, especially on the defensive line, but brought in some interesting guys. You know, Eric Cruikshank was uh, a, you know, dynamic return man at Wisconsin didn't really get involved in the offense very much. And, and he found a pretty prominent role as a receiver at Rutgers. Bo Melton is, is actually one of my favorite, a guy that, that Shiano inherited had already uh, been on the roster there, but uh, really one of my favorite receivers in, in college football, somebody who I think uh, is, you know, has the potential to have a really nice, uh, 2021 season, but also I think, uh, you know, even if he, if he, if he doesn't, you know, fill up the stat sheet, uh, is somebody that we can expect to have a, a solid pro career as well. Certainly a, a future pro wide receiver. So they, they do have a little bit of, of work to do to catch up, of course, to, uh, the heavyweights in the Big Ten for as far as, talent goes. And, and I do think that quarterback is a little bit of an issue. They played three guys last year, Noah Vidral, the, the well-traveled uh, transfer who had most recently been at Nebraska, is uh, the returning starter. And, and they do uh, have him penciled in as the projected starter heading into spring. They also have author Sitowski, uh, who has some starting experience, started as a true freshman there, uh, was a primary backup last year, but got into a few games, saw some significant time. Time and, and then they do have uh, basically Johnny Langham, who's their returning starter from uh, 2019, was a goal line short yardage running back or a quarterback, basically running back, uh, even changed his number to 21 last year. So kind of, a you know, they're, they're doing some creative things, trying to put guys in position to be successful, trying to uh, pick up. Uh, some guys who, you know, maybe weren't utilized to the, the full potential uh, that they had at, at previous programs and are putting them in a position, giving them opportunities to play. And, and you know, it paid off in a lot of ways. But uh, there are some some causes for concern as well, despite sort of my own positive thinking and, and the way my eyes uh, perceived Rutgers as, as being vastly improved. Uh, there were some some pretty difficult numbers, especially on offense, to, to sort of digest. They're into 116th in, in yards per play, 107th in expected points added per play on offense, 98th points per drive, 120th in yards per pass attempt. Uh, they averaged per, per completion. Rutgers averaged uh, fewer than nine yards per pass completion and, and then yards per pass attempt uh, ranked 120th and then in success rate 117th. So uh, they, they had some success with big plays, but they were not very efficient. Uh, they, they even though made some uh, positive steps, uh, you know, putting points on, on the scoreboard, they did have three non-offensive touchdowns, three special teams specifically uh, touchdowns, which, which helped that a little bit. But, you know, I, I do think that the, uh, 
the the sort of buzz around the program, there actually is a little bit of a buzz. I, I think Shiano, the new coaching staff, Sean Gleason is a, a creative offensive coordinator. Uh, I, I think that they kind of gave the the roster a much needed injection, not only of talent from the transfer portal, but but of confidence as well. And to be able to to compete in several games, uh, to be able to pick up some wins in, in games that nobody expected. Uh, I think that there is a, a, a concern to, to think that Rutgers is going to be able to do too much too quickly. I, I, I don't necessarily think they will be able uh, to get to bowl eligibility next year. I, I think that the, the talent gap is still just too big, you know, too wide, especially in the Big Ten East. Uh, they do have a couple of tough draws out of the West as well on the, on the schedule next year. I just, you know, I, I think that uh, 2020, there were a lot of real positive moments. A uh, few wins, a couple of, of really close losses to make you think that they're almost there. I mean, they could have been a bowl team, right? Mm-hmm. They, they lost mm-hmm. by Illinois, or lost to Illinois by three, lost to Michigan in triple overtime, lost to Nebraska by uh, by a touchdown. So, you know, you flip those and, and they're six and three. If you if you pick off one or two of those, you're you're probably in a bowl game if you're Rutgers. But I, I don't necessarily see uh, much reason to to at least expect them to be able to improve uh, by you know two or three wins to get up to bowl eligibility. I, I think that they overachieved a little bit, uh, especially when looking at some of those underlying offensive statistics. Uh, it's going to be difficult because you got to play Michigan, got to play Ohio State, Michigan State. You know there are winnable games on the schedule, especially in the non-conference. But you know they they it's going to be tough. It, the Big Ten is definitely a grind, and Rutgers is is playing at a disadvantage uh, more often than not. So despite sort of some positive feelings, uh, I, I I think that Rutgers uh, might have to sort of maintain three or four wins in in 2021 and then look to build upon that with with bowl eligibility maybe being a legitimate option in in 2022 what do you think about uh ruckers for 2021 xavier pencil me in for ruckers in a bowl game i am drinking the kool-aid of ruckers and i think i don't and this is going to be a little, little fun fact for you guys ruckers is currently ranked give me two seconds to put that up Rutgers is currently ranked 13th in 2022 recruiting rankings. 13th. Now it's early. Yeah. It's early. It's very early in the recruiting process, and they might like a full year early. Yeah. How, how many? How many of those guys actually put, put <laughs> in the paper? We'll see. Fair. Fair. <laughs> However, I think I'm not the only one drinking the Kool Aid up there. You know, in, in Piscataway. That's all I'm gonna say. And, and I genuinely like what's happening at Rutgers. And hey. To, 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 to teams. That is how you benefit on a down year from big teams. Michigan has a down year. You benefit. Penn State has a down year. You benefit. That is how you benefit on the big guys having a ba- having a down year and you capitalizing on that to make your year even better and make you a more viable option for kids going into the end of the next two seasons. When I look at their schedule, Nick, I see a team that can go undefeated in their non-conference schedule. Can they beat Temple? Yes. Can they beat Syracuse? Absolutely. Can they beat Delaware? Yes. Now we just got to find three wins in the, in the Big Ten. And I know that's a very difficult thing to ask, you know, but but can they beat Illinois? Yes. Who knows what Penn State's going to be next year? 
I'm not so ready. I'm not ready to say that they'll be exactly back to what they were two years ago. I'm not ready to say that whatsoever. Has Graham Mertz learned his lessons? I would hope so, as if I'm a Wisconsin fan. And lastly, can they beat Maryland? Absolutely. I think Rutgers can find three more wins in the Big Ten play, even if they get blown out by Michigan, uh, Ohio State, and in the, the Northwestern or Wisconsin. You know, because I, you know, even Michigan State's not a you know, a guaranteed loss with how they how they played last year. So I think that right now Rutgers can get those three win, three wins that they need. And I know for a fact Tennessee fans are kicking themselves because what who did they not want at their university? Greg Schiano, who has currently made Rutgers a viable option <laughs> in the country. Greg Schiano. Tennessee, I can always bring it back to Tennessee, Scott. I can always bring it back to Tennessee. Well, who also has no recruiting violations? Uh, Greg Schiano, you know what I mean? Like, not saying there won't be any in the future, but uh, uh, it's a pretty big deal. So you're absolutely right about that. Uh, were, were you were you done with Rutgers? I'm good. Uh, okay. Yeah, give me the Scarlet Knight Kool-Aid. Uh, now, the next team, I don't know how we evaluate them. Miami, the Miami Redhawks, they're only, they only played three games. They're two and one. Uh, they had the 50th ranked offense, the 61st ranked defense in terms of scoring. Uh, they had the 88th uh, ranked recruiting class so far in 2021. They have seven transfers out, uh, but they did get Isaiah Bowser transferring in from Northwestern. So that's a big get. But how do you break down a team that only played three games last year, Nick? It's it's a little difficult. Yeah, I, I have no idea. And only played three games and, and only played three games against Mac opponents. And, and uh, Miami of Ohio was the defending Mac champions, uh, but our numbers were not particularly high on them. And, you know, they, they did end up, they beat Ball State, who ends up winning the Mac. Uh, they get blown out by Buffalo, who was the, uh, you know, lost in the MAC championship game, and and then you know blow out Akron, who uh, was among the very first teams that that we talked about, finished in the deep one twenties in our uh, postseason power ranking. So you know they they had mixed results against the best teams in the conference. Uh, had a had a you know did what they were supposed to do against uh, one of the lower tier teams in the conference, but you know, we missed an opportunity to, to see them against Ohio, missed an opportunity against Kent state. Both of those teams were, you know, uh, pretty Ohio, pretty solid program. Kent state, uh, in a very small sample size, one of the, one of the best offenses in the country, uh, this year. And, and then Bowling Green, you would expect, uh, was a, a team that they should probably blow out, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, not only did we only see three games, but we didn't see, uh, Miami at its, at its, you know, full strength. Uh, their starting quarterback, uh, sophomore Brett Gabbert was injured early on. Uh, they had a, a starting running back, uh, you know, who was coming back in, in 2020 ended up not playing because of injury. Their starting tight end entering the season projected starting tight end, uh, did not play, uh, because of injury and, and then a, a start on the defensive line as well. You know, they, they, uh, did have, some really, really bright spots. Jack Sorensen, a wide receiver, uh, is one of the top playmakers in the MAC and, and really a, a, uh, a solid weapon for them. Should be one of the better players in the MAC, an all MAC uh, type guy entering 2021. But they're losing two, you know, all MAC caliber offensive linemen. One uh, left tackle Tommy Doyle to the NFL draft, and then they're starting center. Uh, we we uh, mentioned very briefly in our most recent show about offensive line transfers, Danny uh, Godslevke, and I 
probably butchered that mm-hmm. as I do most names. Uh, you know, it was a, a longtime starting center uh, is off to Oklahoma State. So, you know, that's a, a little bit of a concern, even though uh, they do have, you know, they, they were expected to, to uh, lean pretty heavily on a trio of, of sophomores last year as starters on the offensive line. But, uh, you know, defensive line, very productive, very, very, uh, you know, impactful unit there. Uh, have two of the better uh, just players in, in, in really in, in, you know, the G5 on the defensive level and in, in, uh, uh, defensive end Cameron Butler had five production points last year in three games. Pretty, pretty impressive, pretty difficult to do there. And then Sterling Weatherford, who uh, put up 18 production points in the years prior. He was a, a junior last year, but had, had you know, put up enough uh, production as a safety that, that uh, he's raised his individual player rating into the 90s. Both of those are, are 90 rated players and, and building blocks for a defense that uh, in, in a pretty, you know, small sample and, and the numbers are kind of all over the place, but, you know, 122nd in yards per pass attempt, that needs to be much, much improved. But then on the other hand, 28th in success rate against. So, you know, the the, the three-game sample, uh, we just – we can't really draw much from it because, you know, looking at, at uh, what was a real shorthanded offense, finished 24th in yards per pass attempt, finished 19th in EPA per play on offense, 50th in, in yards per play, 51 in uh, points per drive, but just three games. So I, I don't know – that this is a top 50 offense. I don't know that it's, uh, you know, it's certainly not a, a defense in the 100s, but it's probably not a defense necessarily in, in the top 30 either. So really, really difficult to uh, to know what to take from this year for Miami. I mean, from a, a just a talent standpoint, they, they don't stack up particularly well. You know, 87th in our quarterback rankings, even though I really do like Gabbard. I think he's got a real bright future. Just, you know, despite being a starter as a true freshman and hadn't played a ton and didn't show a lot as a true freshman, had 11 yards per pass attempt as a sophomore, but was limited by injury. So, you know, what to make of that. But they're in the 80s in, in receiver at, at offensive line, and that counts, you know, <laughs> two of the best in the Mac who are moving out the door. So they're probably going to be in the one hundreds in our early season uh, rankings next year. They're 110th overall in offense, uh, just from a a pure talent standpoint, 106th in defense. So, you know, it's not the most talented team, even by Mac standards, though there are some high profile guys and, you know, some of those top players really, really are uh, good. And, and, you know, there's a reason they won the Mac in, in 2019, but, just based on on last year, so few games and and just sort of the the you know variety of, of outcomes we saw, really difficult to to know how to you know how that's going to carry over into twenty twenty one. I think they're going to be a competitive team. I'm not necessarily uh, going to to write them off. I, I that they could you know they could uh, contend for the MAC again. They were kind of a surprise winner uh, when they did, but. You know they're certainly capable of it, but then I'm also not uh, going to say guaranteed that they're a bowl team. You know they they play a pretty tough non-conference schedule outside of a, a game against FCS uh, opponent, uh, Long Island University. So it's uh, it, it, Miami. I think could go in a variety of different ways, and and I really just don't have enough information to to give myself a, a firm grasp on what to expect at this point. 
What What do you think about uh, the Red Hawks here uh, moving into 2021? Zavier? Yeah, I, I got to agree with Nick here. This is a team that I'm really trying to, you know, pull straws about when it comes in going into next year because, you know, Nick, this is something you didn't say, and this is something I think all of us can agree upon. You know, when it comes to the MAC, that's the hardest, probably the hardest conference to get year in and year out. And yeah. you're talking about always wide open. Exactly. And when we're talking about a team that, you know, had so few games to pull from, I mean, only three, you're really thinking, okay, so what will they be going in next year? You know, when you look at Brett Gabbard, this is a guy who was freshman, you know, Mac freshman, all, you know, all American was the best freshman, I'm sorry, freshman of the year in the Mac last year and, or in 2019. And he didn't really get to show that going into this year. You know, uh, I, I agree with you. This is a guy who has immense talent. And I think can get to a level where, you know, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the Mac if he isn't already, you know, but we don't really know because last year, you know, his numbers are cool, but you can't take a, a three game sample and say that he was the best quarterback in the Mac last year. That's just something you can't do. You know, when you look at their football schedule going into next year, you know, they play Cincinnati, Minnesota. I had to look this up, but Long Island University and uh, Army <laughs> and Army. And so I think, you know, two and two. You know, three and one, maybe. Or, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, two and two, one and three at the very worst is what I'm thinking of going into next year for them in their non-conference. And then once it gets to the MAC, it's a crapshoot. And so I don't really know where to go with them. I will. I feel safe saying four wins. That's the best I can give them. But they could go and get seven, and you know, be a middle team that maybe competes at the top of the MAC going into next year, depending on you know whether they can you know take the next step. And so I really don't know. And even when you look at the recruiting trail, they finished third in the MAC this year uh, for recruiting. They finished 88th nationally. They brought in 22 kids. And Isaiah Bowser was really the only transfer. You know, so that tells you that they love what they have already, at least for right now, that they're not going to dig into the transfer portal and try to get better as of right now. They believe in what they have. And they, you know, they got better. They got really, really good in one position with the transfer that they brought in. And I think Isaiah Bowser, and we talked about this in an earlier episode, could be a 1,200-yard guy, you know, going into this year. You know, he had a pretty good career at Northwestern, and we think we can. he can definitely do that in the MAC. So I don't know what to think about Miami of Ohio. Like I said, I'll be comfortable saying four wins, but they could win seven or eight, and they, they could come back to this clip and tell me to shut up. So I have no idea <laughs> what to do with Miami of Ohio. Now, Tim, we got to – Go ahead. Sorry, just real. I, I I did fail to mention one guy they will certainly miss. Uh, corner Manny, uh, and I'm going to screw this up. Rugamba uh, could get drafted, and, and so you know that that doesn't happen very often in the MAC. Corners uh, coming out. He's a, a an Iowa transfer, but um, a, a talented guy that I know you know some some NFL draft draft folks have been impressed with uh, some of what they've seen. Uh, from a you know uh, film standpoint, but also in, in an all star game that he participated in early on in, in the uh, scouting process, so they're going to miss him as well. It's not just those offensive linemen, but yeah, I, I agree with Xavier. They're they're you know they're talented certainly from a, a Mac standpoint. I, I have recruited well, I should say, uh, despite uh, you know them not really ranking and very high in a lot of our talent metrics. Seems to be trending in the right direction, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, reason to be optimistic, but yeah, still, still so many unknowns. Now, FAU, uh, bigger sample size at five and four, obviously, but they got a new uh, defensive coordinator. Mike Stoops comes in. He was an analyst at Alabama last season. Uh, they played in the Montgomery Bowl, which is their fifth bowl since 2007. 
but it, there was a big disp- uh, discrepancy here in scoring offense and scoring defense. They were 115th ranked in the nation in scoring offense, ninth in scoring defense. So did it on the defensive side mainly last year. Uh, seven transfers out, four transfers in, and the 82nd ranked recruiting class, Nick. So how do you see FAU playing in 2021? Yeah, I, I, I think that... Uh, if 2020 is any indication, there's a lot of reason to be excited about the FAU defense. And, and uh, this time last week, we talked about how Rice had our first you know, good unit that we discussed uh, at this point in our, our sort of you know, review of, of 2020 uh, teams. But this FAU defense was even better. They finished eighth in the country in yards per play allowed. Uh, that's uh, adjusted to, to filter out garbage time. Uh, they finished 14th in yards per pass, uh, pass attempt uh, allowed. They finished seventh in points per drive surrendered. So, you know, this is a, a top 10 unit in a lot of different categories, whether it's traditional statistics or uh, a little bit more, you know, analytical uh, numbers, digging, digging a little bit deeper. So really, really solid unit. Part of that was, you know, they've, they've got some, quality defensive players. I mean, Leighton McCarthy, linebacker, all-conference USA, is a 100 max rated player, according to our player ratings. Had 21 production points last season. Sophomore defensive end Jalen Joyner had 13 production points. He's he's knocking on the door of a, a 90 rating. He will uh, get there when we adjust for experience heading into next year. Uh, they've got Amon Ross, who had a lot of uh, you know, put up some really good numbers as a sort of saber, uh, safety linebacker hybrid. He's an 86 rated player. And, and then, you know, you scatter some other guys in there as well. Jordan Helm, uh, a safety, a couple of linebackers, really four linebackers uh, hit all four starters, hit five production points uh, or higher. So, you know, they, they've got a solid group there on defense. Uh, Jim Levitt leaving. Jim Levitt is a, a really, really solid, has a really solid track record uh, as a defensive coordinator going on to SMU. He's a, a, certainly a, a top uh, 20 defensive coordinator in college football, uh, according to our numbers. But, you know, bringing in Stoops, who's had a little bit of a, a up and down track record, most recently at Oklahoma, ended up getting fired for uh, some pretty poor units there. So, but, you know, I, I think that there's enough left over that he will, you know, have the makings of one of Conference USA's best uh, best defenses. So I, I think that there's certainly some reason to think that they will uh, continue to, to play well on that side of the football. And I think you only can go up on offense. This was easily the most disappointing uh, offense in the country compared to, you know, what we saw most recently when, when Lane Kiffin was calling the shots there. They had a lot of injuries. They had uh, a situation where Chris Robeson, the, the projected uh, starting quarterback, who I was extremely high on. I remember drafting him, you know, in, in a ton of uh, CFF mock drafts in, in the uh, preseason and, and leading up into the fall. Well, he ends up getting dismissed in August. So, you know, they've got to start Nick Tronti. Uh, you know, has some has some talent. He's a he's a P five transfer, but then they've also got Javian Posey, who sort of uh, really could give a, a spark as a runner, and ended up being the, the second leading rusher on the team. But running back was you know expected to be their strongest position. 
they end up going down to the, the fourth and fifth guys on the depth chart just because uh, completely decimated by injury. Guys like Malcolm Davidson uh, were limited, B.J. Emmons limited, uh, Larry McCammon, all those guys missed significant portions uh, of you know the season and, and just couldn't get going offensively, uh, I think, as a result. They were really missing – uh, that production from, you know, and there's certainly people out there who think, oh, running backs, you know, don't really matter, aren't that big of a deal. But they've had a, a pretty uh, good run of running back production at, at FAU, and they had a lot of talent at that position, certainly some depth. And and they, you know, <laughs> had to had to go to, to number four, number five on the list. And then we didn't really see what we expected from the receiving quarter, they completely revamped under Willie Taggart, bringing in uh, a handful of P5 transfers. And, and really, TJ Chase, the Clemson transfer, was the only one that, that made a significant uh, impact, you know, statistically. So uh, they will go back to the well, to uh, the transfer portal, to try to inject some talent, bringing in Michael Johnson Jr. from Penn State, bringing in uh, Johnny Ford, who's uh, one of those one of those guys who's a, a running back, wide receiver, offensive weapon type guy who I love, uh, you know, had, had some success at USF in a variety of roles. They bring in John Dunmore, really highly rated guy coming out of high school. He's also from Penn State. So they're going to try to inject some more talent into that offense, and, and I expect it will take a step forward. Uh, and, and I did like what I saw at times when Posey was running the football, just didn't really offer very much as a passer. And, and uh, certainly, you know, he was a redshirt freshman, uh, could, could uh, use some experience in, a, in another year in uh, the offense as well. But – you know, you, you start with a pretty solid defense, and I'm not 100% sure they also lost their uh, best defensive player coming into the year. Linebacker Achilles Leroy was uh, ruled ineligible prior to the season. I'm not sure if he's somebody that would have the ability uh, to come back. That That's something certainly worth watching. If, if this unit can uh, even add to uh, the solid group that they expect to return. I mean, they they could have all 11 starters back. I, I know that McCarthy is a senior and then corner uh, Zion Gilbert, who's a pretty good player, 88 in our player ratings. Uh, both of those guys are seniors, and Jordan Helm, the safety I mentioned earlier, is a senior. But, uh, you know, the opportunity to come back, they could have double-digit uh, starters returning from an excellent unit, could get even better because they did bring in a couple of talented guys as well. Uh, on that side of the football in the transfer portal. I think FAU, you know, could be a Conference USA contending team. The offense is going to have to take a, a big, big step forward. But with a healthier offense, uh, with some stability at the quarterback position, uh, with, you know, another year in, in a new offense, with a, a second-year now head coach, FAU can can make some noise. I, I, I uh, They're one of those teams I could see going in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, I know you guys aren't a big – uh, neither of you are big Willie Taggart fans, so I understand there could certainly be some skepticism that he is able to, to get uh, this group to the next level. But, you know, they, they've made the best out of a kind of a bad situation last year uh, by really, really ramping it up defensively. And maybe they're not going to be able to play quite to that level uh, now that, that Jim Levitt is gone. But I think it's a, a definitely a top 25 unit in the country statistically. I think that's sustainable. It's just whether or not they can uh, become even an average offense. And if, if they can, then I think this is a team 
that will compete in that East division of, of Conference USA. If the offense continues to, to struggle anywhere near what it did uh, this year, it's going to be difficult to, to get back to a bowl game. But you know, there's potential for FAU. They, they certainly, certainly could be in the mix, I think, in, uh, in that Eastern division. How do you feel about FAU going into 2021, Xavier? Uh, pretty interesting team like Nick just mentioned. Yeah, Willie Taggart has got to be having nightmares about his quarterback position. I mean, he has not been able to find a quarterback since his time, since before Florida State, where he can have a consistent quarterback place since, before, you know. So I, I agree I agree with Nick. If they can get consistent quarterback play, this is a team that can make a bowl game for the second year in a row. I just don't know if they'll get that. You know, I don't know if I'm if I'm ready to, to trust what they have at the quarterback position going into next year. You know, I was looking at the 2020 season as you were talking, Nick, and to see if in a normal year they would have been able to get to six wins. And I look at the game that they were canceled or postponing. Absolutely. You know, they, they lost a game against Stony Brook that I think they were going to be able to win. USF was postponed as well. Old Dominion was a game that was canceled. Middle Tennessee was a game that was canceled. That's, in my opinion, that's an eight and four ball club going into last year. You know, those are very, very winnable games. And you look at it again, you know, you look at this year's schedule. I think once again, there's a team that can do it. You look at their non-conference schedule and they have Florida, Georgia Southern, Fordham and Air Force. I, or excuse me, yeah, in Florida and Air Force, I think they are able to win those four, two of those four games. I think Florida and Georgia Southern are going to be tough. They lost to Georgia Southern last year as well. Uh, but then when we get into uh, Conference USA play, once again, I think they can do it. Middle Tennessee is a win. Old Dominion is a win. Western Kentucky, I think, takes a step back. I think that they can get a win there. FIU, I think, is a, is a game that they can absolutely win. So I think that they are an abs- absolutely a bowl team. Um, that defense is going to be amazing. And I was looking up uh, Aquilas while you were talking. I don't think he's eligible to come back. I see a couple of uh, of websites that are that, that talk about guys who are coming into the draft, and then they already have profiles created for him. So I think he's not a guy who's able to come back due to the fact that he was not able to play last year because of, in, uh, of eligibility issues and not just opting out last year. So I'm not sure. If, I, don't, I do not think so. Uh, when we look at the recruiting trail, hey, it's FAU. They're going to recruit Florida heavy, and they did pretty well this year. They took a bit of a step back in the conference, finishing third this year behind UTSA in North Texas after finishing first the year before, and they finished 82nd versus 67th uh, the year before as well. But once again, this is a team that has digged into the, you know, has dipped into the transfer portal as they're going to continue to do because it's Taggart. And I think that, you know, they're, they're going to have a really big impact. I think Keyshawn Green is going to have an impact coming from Nebraska. You hit it right on the head with John Dunmore. Heck, if you're a good receiver, you need to go to FAU, especially with the way that they run their offense. It's expansive. It's more. It's close. It's really, really close to an air raid. If not an air raid, go to, go down there. Possibly get as many touches as you possibly can. And I think he's going to have a great year in, in conference USA as long as he's able to get immediate uh, eligibility. I believe he is. So I'm 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 ready to go with the optimism of Nick. I think this is a team that goes to a bowl game for the second straight year in the Taggart. I think they finish around six or seven wins. Um, I'm not sure if they'll finish around eight or nine, which they could have last year if the games were postponed. Their non-conference schedule was a lot easier last year as well, though, so remember that. I think this is a team that goes seven and five and gets to a bowl game this year. Maybe the Montgomery Bowl for the second straight year. Now, uh, the, the next team is one of the most interesting, I feel like, in this group in Western Kentucky. The Hilltoppers at Zach Kitty, the new OC and uh, QB's coach. He comes over from Houston Baptist, who we know had a huge offensive season last year. Um, they, they also bring in uh, Bailey Zapp, the uh, quarterback from uh, Houston Baptist last season as a transfer in. 21 transfers out with 14 transfers in. So a lot of moving around of the roster. Uh, Maurice Crum is the new defensive coordinator. He was promoted uh, from 
uh, linebackers coach to the new DC this year. They were 114th ranked in scoring offense and 40th in scoring defense last year, Nick. Uh, 139th ranked recruiting class, so it doesn't look great there, probably because they have so many pieces moving in and out. But uh, WKU and the Hilltoppers, they, they are a very, very interesting team going into 2021. Absolutely. I, I think they might be the most fascinating team, uh, especially among uh, G5 programs, just heading into this season because they are completely revamping their offense and and, and going all in on a, uh, a a definite air raid. I mean, uh, you know, Zach Kittley is, was, uh, you know, as you mentioned on, on Cliff Kingsbury staff at, at Texas A&M. Uh, he's a guy who uh, was calling plays at Houston Baptist. They, they were uh, scoring like crazy in 2019 at the FCS level. Uh, this past fall played four games, three of them against FBS opponents. And, and uh, Bailey Zappi, the quarterback, uh, had, you know, 14 touchdowns. And, and so uh, certainly, you know, ha- has proven that schematically his offense uh, is capable of scoring at at the FBS level, uh, and you know it's going to rely on some of those same players to uh, you know to to prove that at the FBS level. Bringing in Zappy, who you know even though Tyrell Pigram, who started last year at quarterback and and is a P five transfer, you know started at Maryland and and uh, had some success and and you know did some good things last year. Didn't throw an interception in the regular season before throwing two in the uh, bowl game, but uh, you know, pretty much everybody expects Zappy because the the uh, he's been the quarterback there for uh, Kitley for the last three years. You know, expect him to to kind of be a coach on the field type quarterback, and and then two of his uh, favorite weapons as receivers are going to be following as well uh, there to, to WKU. So you know, uh, it, it doesn't seem like Pigram is going to be able to to hold on to that job. I, I don't know if he's going to transfer there is you know maybe the possibility he uh switches positions try to get both guys on the field at the same time they did lose gage walker their leading rusher each of the last two years i've seen some conflicting things as to whether or not he is intending to transfer or begin his pro career uh, i've heard some some uh, conflicting things there that'll all get sorted out uh in the next uh, couple of months i'm sure but uh you know they, they are bringing in a running back from north dakota state as a transfer who uh they're pretty high on so a lot of new faces but a lot of optimism about the offense and and there's a ton of room for improvement and and i think we should expect some pretty immediate improvement improvement this was a unit that scored 19 points per game last year uh ranked low in the triple digits uh kidley has said that uh or you know made a, a statement that their goal is going to be scoring 40 points per game so they would basically be doubling their offensive output and uh you know one thing that that's going to be it's going to be difficult to do first of all uh but you know it's it's interesting looking i i am in the very very early stages of of outlining uh the uh there's a a stats little capsule in the uh athlon sports preseason uh magazine that that i wrote last year we'll be writing this year and western kentucky was kind of my first one to to sort of look at and a number that jumped out to me immediately was uh, last year they scored 24 offensive touchdowns and it took an average of, of basically 31 and a half 
offensive snaps per score, uh, which ranked among the worst in, in FBS. It was 118th. Uh, most snaps between touchdowns. But Kitley's offense at HBU had 17 offensive touchdowns in just four games, and they needed just uh, a little under 19 offensive plays per touchdown score. So that would have ranked in the top 50, not not at the very highest, but, uh, you know, they, they were prolific and, and threw the football a lot, put up a lot of points, had success against FBS programs. So, there's absolutely reason to be optimistic there on the offensive side of the football, but I, I am really kind of concerned about the defense. Not only did they lose uh, Clayton White, who went on to become the defensive coordinator at South Carolina, was a pretty highly sought after guy. It put together some really good units there uh, at WKU. Maurice Crum was sort of the handpicked successor, so there is some uh, continuity there. He was he was elevated into that role, and as I mentioned, Pigram is still on the official 2021 roster. D'Angelo Malone, the all-conference USA, you know, all-time sack leader there at the school, one of the most disruptive uh, pass rushers at, at any G5 program, is still listed on the roster as well. So I, I did try to, to dig into whether or not he was uh, expected to to come back for that extra year, and I know there are some you know lists on on some NFL draft stuff early in the offseason that expected him to be you know a, a mid to late round pick, but I haven't seen any official thing that that says he's not coming back and he's still on that roster. So I think he'll be back, but they are losing a lot. They are losing uh, three starters in the secondary to the NFL draft. They are losing. Uh, their uh, top two linebackers, one retired and one is entering the transfer portal. They lost a 30-plus game starter on the offensive line, and they lost uh, really their their you know most talented receiver who opted out after the first game last year. Jacor Pearson has transferred to Ole Miss, have some pretty high expectations for him there. We talked they obviously brought in some receivers uh, to try to soften that blow, but you know, you're losing some big pieces and, and in some, some important spots. And that defense that was a real bright spot the first couple of years under Tyson Helton, so many moving pieces there uh, that, that you know, don't give you quite the same amount of optimism as the influx, uh, you know, different way of speaking about moving pieces and influx in talent and excitement around a new offense. Uh, and then, you know, oh, we're, we're losing so much experience and production on defense uh, so it's 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 tricky to, to be able to peg Western Kentucky going into next year. They they expect to win. They expect to compete for Conference USA titles. Their fan base is uh, you know pretty vocal about that and, and has high expectations. They ran uh, the the previous head coach Mike Sanford Jr. out after just a couple of years because they they fell so far from uh, the high you know Jeff Brom days. So. Uh, they expect that offense to, to look a lot more, at least from a, a points per game and, and yardage standpoint, uh, like those Brom offenses. But it's going to be difficult to do that and maintain uh, really anything similar to the defensive success that they've had uh, in, in recent years under White. I mean, this was a, you know, finished top 35 in yards per play allowed, top 20 yards per pass attempt allowed, top 50 success rate against so pretty, pretty solid unit uh, there on defense. But, you know, it's it's going to be difficult to, to maintain that when your offense is going to be uh, hopefully, you know, a, a lot more higher scoring. Uh, but so many new phases on both sides of the football. It's, it's kind of difficult to actually project what this team will 
look like, but I, I do share the optimism of the fan base for the uh, hire of uh, the new offensive coordinator and, you know, do think it's a pretty fascinating team to watch. Uh, I'm going to be tuning in to, to some Western Kentucky games for sure. What do you think about WKU, Xavier? It looks, uh, you know, can they get this all done in a year as far as all these moving pieces? I will say resoundingly no. I, I think we're going to see a – I don't think we're going to see, see an immaculate drop-off from Western Kentucky. I mean, this was a team that only won five games last year. So let's not act like this is a team that, you know, was nine and three by any means. But but I, I, I'm much more comfortable saying two or three wins when I look at their schedule. Uh, they're not a conference. UT Martin may probably should win that game at Army. I'm not necessarily sure about – uh, Army's always a tough out, uh, Indiana, and at Michigan State. So I would give them one guaranteed non-conference win. When we get in the Conference USA, Old Dominion, and that's why I'll stop. You know, you know, I, 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 because, you know, you, you look at so much turnover from a team that last year was so good defensively. You know, I got to watch them really, really close. I, they played Georgia State in the bowl game last year. And you and I'm going to be honest with you, if it wasn't for how poor they were offensively in that game, Georgia State probably loses that ball game. The defense from Western Kentucky was really good. Western Kentucky's offense just continued to turn the ball over in plus territory for Georgia State, where they were starting drives at the thirty, uh, you know, most of the time at the thirty last year uh, in that bowl game. So it, it so it lended to to what Nick was saying that now they're focusing on offense, but they lose all that help on defense. And, and I'm sorry that you know getting all of these transfers in and, and, and retooling the offense bringing uh, the head, the coach from Houston Baptist. I'm not sure if that offense is going to be able to gel in one season. I'm not ready to go out on the limb and say that. And, and when you lose all that help from a defense that was really solid last year, you expect them to fall off a bit. You know, the, the offense is going to be sluggish, and I believe the defense will be as well. So I'm not comfortable saying that they'll be back to a bowl game. I'm much more comfortable saying three wins next year. Um, when you look at the recruiting trail, to, to get to that, we talked about it. They were poor. But once again, they didn't focus on recruiting this year. They signed two kids, you know, they signed two, two kids have signed their letters of intent. Two are still hard commits, which means they haven't signed their letters of intent just yet. So, you know, four kids possibly total out of high school that tells you right there that they were in the transfer portal, like, you know what I'm saying? So I, I can't sit here and say that they're going to be anywhere close to a bowl game next year with all of the turnover, especially in the coaching staff as well. Nick hit it right on the head. I think this is a team that finishes with three wins maximum, maybe four is a stretch, but nowhere near a bowl game. But Washington State is a team that, uh, you know, once again, like a bunch in this group, only four games last year. They were uh, 75th ranked in scoring offense, which is not where we're used to seeing Washington State. Uh, 118th ranked in scoring defense. That sounds about right. But, uh, you, you know, <laughs> The, the, their biggest get might be Max Borgie returning. Uh, they did get Jared Quarantano uh, transferring him from Tennessee, uh, but Gunnar Cruz left to Arizona, and Jane Delora, who was kind of looked like the QB of the future here, was suspended after DUI. They lost one of their best defensive players, or you know he is suspended as of right now. Aiden Nectar uh, uh, for fake ID and minor possession. Uh, they have 18 transfers out and only three transfers in. It's not looking great for Rolovich and the Cougars here, Nick. So what do you think about them moving into 2021? Yeah, there are definitely some some uh, red flags. And, and a couple of those are true freshmen that you, uh, lean, you know, leaned on pretty heavily last year, starting quarterback Jane DeLora and, and really one of your best defensive players ended up being uh, starting safety Aiden Hector. Uh, Megan, you know, poor 
decisions off the field that that could impact their future on the field. I mean, we don't know uh, how long these suspensions might be, how they might affect uh, playing time and, and things like that. And there's also been some rumbling among, you know, current and former players on uh, social media about uh, the, the number of transfers uh, guys leaving and, and how uh, potentially that points toward uh, some unrest in the locker room with, with the coaching staff and, and whatnot. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see because we know that, uh, you know, under Mike Leach wasn't necessarily the most uh, beloved coach by his players uh, there at, at Washington State. But, you know, Nick Rolovich had a, a little bit more of a reputation as uh, a player's coach and, and uh, was a celebrated hire, seemed like a perfect fit from a schematic standpoint. From uh, He's got a, a quirky personality that kind of fits in in a, a place like Pullman where it's difficult to recruit to. It's It can be difficult to win there. But, you know, he, he seemed to be uh, on paper the, the right guy for that job. Now, uh, you know, Rolovich had some success there at, at Hawaii, obviously, and, and somewhat similar, but to a, a little bit of a not the extreme degree as, as what David Cutcliffe underwent at Duke. But Hawaii was in a really bad spot and, and didn't have a lot of reason to think that they were going to be able to, to, you know, put a consistent winner on the field prior to Nick Rolovich getting there and, and taking that job over, really solidified things and, and really uh, breathed new life into that program and, and got it going again. And, you know, Washington State, he took over a different situation, a, a team that was a consistent, uh, you know, consistently going to bowls under Leach and, and consistently putting, uh, you know, at least passing offense-wise, uh, one of the best uh, units in the country year after year. So this is obviously such a, a strange 2020 season. And, and uh, as I mentioned before, Western uh, Washington state is, is one of those three teams that I'm just really, really struggling to uh, what can we learn from such a small sample from last year. I, I try not to read too much into the negative, uh, especially, you know, for a team like this, that, that we just didn't get to see very often, but there are some, you know, there are some causes for concern. And, and so, you know, is there going to be more of a roster overhaul? Are they going to, to you know, uh, are we going to see more and more guys enter the transfer portal? They just lost uh, Jameer Calvin, who's one of their highest rated uh, receiver recruits in a long time. A guy that, you know, has, has uh, not quite uh, emerged as one of the best receivers on the team or, or even in the Pac-12, but kind of fit that profile of, hey, he could be a solid, you know, number three, number four type guy. And, and uh, you mentioned we didn't get to see Max Borgie, but just one game. And, and so, you know, still don't know exactly how Rolovich is going to utilize him in the offense moving forward. And Hawaii, the running back really wasn't very much uh, you know, wasn't involved in the passing game. And they have him and McIntosh. Like that's, that's a good one, two punch in the backfield for a team that doesn't really, I mean, running back might be their best position. They don't even use it that much. It could be. And, and Rolovich has in the past showed, you know, that he's not uh, necessarily half, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be a uh, run and shoot guy all the time, just pure, uh, pure run and shoot, but you know that that is his background. That's where he's had the most success. So there's there's a little bit of uh, just 
not knowing are they going to be able to lean on the running back position being one of the, the strengths of the team. Now, they did get uh, offensive lineman Abraham Lucas, who probably you know could have been drafted uh, had he decided to, to leave after his junior year. He's a guy that is a 97-rated player, according to our uh, player ratings. He is coming back for his senior year, his, his true senior year. They did lose starting right guard Josh Watson uh, to the NFL draft as a – did not – uh, take that extra year of eligibility, but you know, going to have a lot of experience on the offensive line. Do have playmakers at receiver, even without Calvin. They do have Renard Bell. They do have Travell Harris. Calvin Jackson Jr. is a guy that that uh, you know has, has got some uh, reason to be optimistic about his future. They they found a little bit of depth there last year as well. A healthy Borgie. You have to think they're going to find a way to utilize him and, and really lean on him. So I think the offense is going to be fine. Defensively, you know, it's sort of a different deal. The, the defense last year was pretty experienced. Uh, the linebacker group had some injuries. Uh, Jihad Woods, a hundred rated player, was injured uh, in December, and and you know, kind of have to see uh, how that's going to go with him being able to come back. Uh, Willie Taylor Jr. was a, an experienced edge rusher uh, in the '80s in our player rankings. He didn't play the last game, and I never really could find confirmation as to why is he somebody who's potentially going to enter the transfer portal. Uh, they already lost Will Rogers during the year uh, who had a lot of success was, was getting close to a 90 rating. He's already transferred to temple. So, you know, defensively I've, I've got some more concerns and, and, you know, I, I think that they'll be fine uh, on offense, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to need to, uh, you know, Washington state to, to, stay competitive and, and get back to consistent bowl games. They're going to be able to, to excuse me, going to have to uh, get some stops every once in a while and very limited, you know, uh, sample size, obviously, but 118th in yards per play allowed, 122nd EPA per play defensively, 118th points per drive, 119th success rate against, 103rd in yards per pass attempt against. So uh, those are, you know, those are the numbers we were talking about when we were going through Akron and, and Bowling Green and, and UMass getting triple digits and all defensive uh, advanced stats that, that we discussed. So, you know, uh, it, was that the real Washington State defense? Probably not. They were shorthanded with COVID all year. That's why they, you know, didn't play but four games. They, they basically entered the season having, having COVID issues within their program and, and then just the, uh, you know, kept injuries themselves, but, but uh, different guys just not being able to, to get on the field as the season progressed. Hard to, to, hard to know how to read that. So, but uh, what we did see from Washington State last year defensively, not great. Uh, and then, you know, the offense, they decided we had a true freshman quarterback, but we're going to bring in a senior. And then the, the true freshman, uh, who I was pretty high on, Jaden Delora, but, uh, you know, making some questionable decisions both on the field and off the field. Have to wonder if he's really the, the quarterback of the future there. So really a lot of unknowns for Washington State. Uh, from a talent standpoint, they're playing at a disadvantage more often than not in the Pac-12. They were able to overcome that with Leach. Seemed like, you know, Rolovich was going to be able to get more out of that group than uh, the, the talent metrics would suggest. But early returns were not great. So do we give him a mulligan and, and just say 2020 is a weird year or did we not start on the right foot and maybe some behind the scenes things are, are giving us reason for cause for concern that this could get worse before it gets better? 
Yeah, what do you think of, of Washington State, Xavier? Like Nick said, there's uh, a lot of moving pieces. Maybe we should give them a mulligan for, for uh, 2020 and COVID and all that stuff, but I feel like you're probably not going to go that way. Nah, I'm not giving them a mulligan for that last year at all. I think this is a team that overperformed while Mike Leach was there, and I'm ready to see. And I think Washington State's going to be on a downturn for a minute. I think this is a team that under Mike Leach just did things that we did not expect. I mean, just let's just have it out right. Washington State is not one of those traditional Pac-12 powers uh, that they struggle to recruit in the conference due to the fact that they are where they are. You know, <laughs> people in Washington call Pullman the country. It's just it's it's really tough to consistently be a good team at Washington State, and Mike Leach was able to do that. And we, and I think it's going to take a while for Rolovich to figure out how he did. You know, when we look at the recruiting trail, they finished ninth in the Pac-12. Uh, that's one spot better than last year where they finished tenth. Uh, but, you know, they finished 60th nationally, which was five worse than they finished the previous year. They really focused on, you know, they, they, they had somewhat of a focus on transfers, bringing in three of them. Uh, we don't know how good Garantano is going to be, but it kind of feels like a quick fix type situation with Garantano coming in. It feels like Rolovich is maybe taking the stab that, that Cutcliffe took last year, which is we're going to bring a, a top recruit in and, and hopefully – you know, they, he his worries and his woes at Tennessee do not follow him to Washington State. We saw that similar. Uh, we saw Utah did that last year with Jake Bentley. We saw how that worked. So I, I think that this is something Washington State's doing as well, and I don't see it working just as – I think it'll be just as bad as what happened with Utah last year. I, I don't think that Garantano is going to be able to leave his demons in, uh, in Rocky Top. I think they're going to follow him to Washington State. He'll struggle uh, in the system that is going to ask him and be more demanding of him to read a defense and to pass – heavily you know he was able to lean on what it was a really you know above average running game at Tennessee and I think people forget that you know and, and I don't think that's going to be that's not possible at, at, at Washington State and another thing is go, he's going to have to pass in that conference due to the fact that the offenses are so potent in the offense and sometimes you do have to win pure shootouts uh, and, and just starting there I think it just you know it compiles on itself and I don't really think Washington State's a team that we're going to see a bounce back from. Uh, you look at their schedule, Utah State, Portland, BYU being their non-conference. I think they can go two and one there. And, you know, I think they could beat Utah State and Portland State, uh, but I don't think they could beat BYU. And when they get into Pac-12 play, Arizona State, Cal, Oregon, Utah, Washington, I just don't see where they find enough wins to become a possible bowl-eligible team. You know, I'm three, three wins, three to four wins is what I'm comfortable saying with Washington State going into next year. So they will be better. But when you have a non-conference schedule of Utah State and Portland State, the re I, I think it'll be a little bit uh, a misnomer, possibly, with, with how many wins that they actually have and, and that they could have had last year if it was a regular schedule. I think they would have had three or four last year if it was a regular schedule as well. I think one was just because of what happened with COVID. Now, the, the last team on the list here is uh, Central Michigan and the, the Chippewas last year. 41st ranked scoring offense per game, 71st ranked defense, 87th recruiting class. They have 10 guys transferring out and only two transferring in, but one of them is a nice get in Washington quarterback, Jack Sermon. So how do you feel the Chippewas are going to uh, stack on this uh, 500 season of 2020, uh, Nick? Uh, I, th I think that Chip, uh, that, uh, that central Michigan is going to be, you know, maybe a, a Mac title contender. I, I don't think that they are Ooh. dominant by any stretch, but I, I do think that Jim McElwain has, uh, you know, done done a pretty good job there. Obviously, you know, in 2019, 
2019, it was one of the biggest one-year turnarounds that we've seen. It's difficult to follow that up with with great success the following year, especially when you know they had issues at the quarterback position. Uh, David Moore was uh, still uh, in, in just sort of weird circumstances, suspended uh, coming into the year. They had their uh, starter, Daniel Richardson, suffered a, a really uh, ugly leg injury uh, in November. He had played pretty well early on, uh, but you know they, they lost both games after he uh, w- was injured and, and out for the year. They had a, a, tra- a transfer from the FCS uh, level type rock come in and, and, you know, played okay, but uh, lost back-to-back games against Ball State and Toledo. Two tough teams played Toledo right to the wire, one-point loss. Uh, and, and they were, you know, the other game that they lost as well were in it uh, against Western Michigan, real shootout there. Uh, lost that game 52 to, to 44. So they were in every game just about. The, the you know they lost by uh, 25 to Ball State the MAC champions but you know this is from a, a talent standpoint a team that can compete Sermon I think even if Richardson comes back healthy uh, probably is the best bet to start he was uh, a you know pretty close to a five star guy coming out of high school he had a, a over a 95 rating uh, in the 247 sports composite I mean that that's that's high four star uh, territory. Obviously, you know, didn't quite play up to that level at Washington and and wasn't able to win that starting job there. So, you know, maybe he was slightly overrated coming out of high school, but I think it shows sort of the high end, you know, if he can get things things going and and have an opportunity to, you know, start and and get that on-field experience at the college level, I think it's something that uh, there's a, a, you know, there's a, a range of outcomes, one of which is, is really, really high for him. So uh, I like that. They do have uh, two of the better uh, receivers in the MAC. Khalil Pimpleton is going to be uh, entering his traditional senior season uh, next year, an all-MAC guy. Ja'Cory Sullivan didn't do very much on the field last year, but as a former all-MAC performer, you know, both of those guys are playmakers. They also got, uh, you know, a lot of big playability from da- uh, Dallas Dixon last year. Ended up having an injury uh, at the end of the year. But, um, you know, offensively, they've got weapons. Kobe Lewis and Lou Nichols, pretty solid one-two combo at running back. And all-Mac le- left tackle at Derek Smith. He's also a senior. He's the only uh, starting senior uh, there. But, you know, if he does not come back, you expect that, uh, they'll still be a, a pretty solid offensive line unit, especially with they do have a they didn't have a, a Luke uh, Gadecki was a, a projected starter, returning starter entering the 2020 season. He did not play. I think that he will be coming back. Last I saw, so you know that the opportunity there for the offensive line to be a, a strength, and if you get a couple of those seniors back, especially Derek Smith, the, the tackle, and Corey Sullivan. Uh, at receiver, then I think it really could be one of the better units offensively in the MAC and, and defensively. They lost a couple of transfers, so a few guys who, uh, you know, one really impressive uh, performer on the, the interior of the defensive line, Muhammad Diallo, had 12 production points last year. Uh, he's probably moving up to a Power Five program. He's, he's going to be a, uh, you know, big time. Uh, somebody's going to get a real big time player out of the transfer portal with him, but they're bringing back guys like 
Troy Harrison, who is one of the most productive pass rushers in all of college football. Troy Brown, who I think is one of the best linebackers, certainly from a production standpoint, uh, in, in the MAC for sure. And he's an all MAC type guy, 100 rated max player in our uh, pe- uh, player rankings. So, you know, they, they've got some real, real uh, stars uh, on, def- on defense. They've got another uh, all MAC safety, Willie Reed. They've got uh, a former Florida transfer, Brian Edwards, at, at corner. So they've got talent. They've been able to dip into the transfer portal in years past. Uh, but then also are continuing to do that, raise the the talent level there. And even if they're going to lose a couple of players to the transfer portal, uh, guys who are looking for a, a step up in a, in a bigger spot like Diallo is, you know, Hairston coming back and, and you know, Troy Brown, I, those are, are arguably, uh, in my opinion, uh, two of the best defensive players in the MAC, just, just point blank. So uh, that's a great building block. That That's a great starting point for a defense that had some real bright spots, top 40 in EPA per play uh, allowed, uh, top 50 in points per drive allowed, 41st in success rate against, gave up too many big plays in the passing game. Uh, but, you know, overall a, a solid unit with the opportunity, I think, because of those high-end performers in the front seven and, and you know, some more talented guys on the way in, in the secondary. Yeah, I think Central Michigan is a team that uh, could be anybody else in the MAC for sure. I'm not sure that they're going to be the favorite by any stretch, uh, especially you know Kent State is is really rolling and, and has has that that premier quarterback. And Buffalo has been so good in years past. Ball State defending champs, so it's going to be a tough task. But in a MAC that is you know there's not very much distance between the top of the league and and the middle tier. Central Michigan is a team that certainly, I think, can get back to that MAC title game. And if if things line up, and if Sermon uh, capitalizes and, and lives up to his level of potential uh, that that a lot of really smart people thought he had coming out of high school, absolutely, I think Central Michigan could be uh, maybe a surprise uh, MAC champ in twenty twenty one. That were you as Mac- bullish on on Central Michigan, Xavier? I'm going to refrain a little bit. But at the same time, it's the Mac. So would it surprise me at the end of the year? Absolutely not. I mean, this is a team that went three and three last year. You know, they they and they could have easily went five and one. You know, the only game that they thoroughly lost was to Ball State 45-20. They lost by eight to Western Michigan, one to Toledo to end the year. You know, this is a team that could easily compete next year and, and be a possible team that wins the Mac. You know, and I would not be surprised by 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 any stretch. But at the same time, I'm not ready to go out in the same lane that Nick is. Because they still do rank 91st in our power rankings. So I'm not necessarily ready to go that far and to say that they'll go from 91st to, you know, and Nick, you probably have on hand who won the MAC last year where they finished. I'm not necessarily ready to say that they'll make that much of a leap uh, going into next year. Um, unless Nick tells me it's like in the 70s, then I'll definitely <laughs> Well, let's see. So, so Ball State won, and and that was an upset because Buffalo uh, spent a lot of the year in our top twenty-five. Honestly, right. So, so that was that was an upset. I don't expect Buffalo to be anywhere near that high this year, though. I do think they'll they'll still be good. Ball State finished sixty-nine, so we'll be talking about them in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think Ball State is probably going to be closer to fifty in our preseason rankings. They they. Uh, you know, have some talented guys, but they they lost 
Uh, one of their one of their top players actually ended up leaving the team before the end of the season. That hurt their rating a little bit mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the year compared to what it could have been. Central Michigan was hurt by injury. I mean, at, at the quarterback position, uh, most of the year with Richardson there, and especially if Moore had played, they would have been mid sixties. They would have been about where Ball State finished mm-hmm. uh, at full strength. So, you know, I, I think that you put Sermon in there, and he's already. Uh, let's see, let, let me get his actual updated rating. Um, I said coming out of high school was, was a mid nineties, yep. uh, rated player. He is a sophomore, uh, according to our numbers here, we are updating everybody's experience, uh, to, to, you know, just give a little more. So he'll be a junior, true junior, assuming he's eligible. And, and we do assume he will be. Uh, he's an 87 rated player. So mm. in the Mac, that's going to be on the very short list of highest rated Mac quarterbacks. I mean, Absolutely. Dustin, Cr- Dustin Crum and not very many uh, behind him. So, you know, maybe we have him overrated. Maybe he was overrated coming out of high school. That is a fear. Uh, so it, I might hedge a little bit and split he and Richardson as kind of co-starters to, to limit that, you know, the, the danger of over-ranking uh, uh, Central Michigan, but he, you know that's that's not going to change things too much because their the quarterback should be a strength. Richardson did some good things, and then Sermon, from a talent standpoint, is is there. So, yeah, I think I think Central Michigan might be in that you know similar Ball State range, like you mentioned. Yeah, uh, and I think a great barometer game for them will be their first game of the season. I think going to Missouri will be a great barometer to see where this team is. If this is a team that comes right out and gets smacked by Missouri, I will be a little bit more hesitant for them to win the MAC. Although that's not necessarily, you know, MAC competition. I think Missouri is one of those teams that, you know, is not too elite to where it's like, well, it's Missouri. They should lose that game. I think Central Mission is to go in there and they compete, even if they walk away with an upset win. I'd be much more inclined to go ahead and say that they can absolutely win the MAC next year. But it's the MAC. It is one of them. like we've said several times on this podcast. I think we've already talked about what four or five teams from the MAC. And I think oh, we've I said, know. and I think we've said for all of them that they could possibly, that three out of five of them could contend in next year's MAC, at least be at least a middling team in that conference. It's the MAC. It's going to be a tough year. To, it's going to be, a, it's a tough conference to gauge. And I, I'm going to lean on Nick with this one. I, mean, I think, Nick, I think that they're a team that can be up to, at the top of the conference. I'm not ready to say they'll be able to win the conference, but I'd be, I'd be crazy to think that they could not, and that there was no possibility whatsoever. I will say on the recruiting trail. They did an excellent job this year. They did a really, really good job. They finished second in the MAC this year, uh, previously finishing eighth the year before. Uh, they finished nationally 87th after finishing 115th the year before that. They did a really good job on the trail. So the future for Central Michigan is looking even better, uh, especially if Jacob Sermons is able to, or Jacob Sermon, excuse me, is able to come in and, and you know hit the ground running. That gives them a quarterback for at least the next three years minimum. I like Central Michigan going forward. Nick likes them right now. Maybe it's time to buy stock in the Central Michigan. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for uh, 100 through 91 on the team previews. Next Tuesday, we're going to be taking a break from uh, the transfers and the positions and stuff like that. And we're going to be doing our head coach, first-year head coach draft. So uh, Xavier is preparing frantically for that to try to defend his title from last year. Uh, yep, showing us the belt that he has and and, and, uh, and all that uh, that comes with it, of course. But 
Uh, don't get too comfortable with that. Uh, I mean, how much does that weigh? Is that easy to mail, Xavier? Because I think I'll be holding it next year. I'm not so sure about that. It's not. It's not the <laughs> lightest belt in the world, but I. But I'm sure it'll look great in my hands next season as well. <laughs> uh, but remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me at CFB Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish for Xavier, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.